it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Night Dreams, Scary Story Night, on Friday nights. Call in at 9.30 p.m. Pacific at 1-253-203-6695. You're listening to my friend Gary Anderson on Night Dreams Talk Radio, the best in paranormal radio. Well, here it is, down at the compound. I'm sitting here ready to do this show tonight. Tonight's a little bit different because, well, it's our anniversary month. And tonight, it is Scary Friday Night. The last half an hour of the show, you can call in at 1-253-203-6695 and tell us a scary story. Tonight, uh, we're going to have, uh, or we do have, Kevin Coolidge, who has written uh, a series of children books, uh, even uh, including a little bit of the paranormal in one of them. Oh, boy. The weather up here at the compound at the harbor, it is shifting uh, the beautiful summer is now gone. It looks like it's going to be, well, for the next uh, probably about eight, nine months, rain, unless unless we go in earth changes sooner, and then who knows what could happen. Hey, Kevin Coolidge, how are you doing here tonight, my friend? 
I'm doing great, Gary. How are you doing this evening? I am doing good. Any day I can wake up and I can find my glasses and my car keys, I am a happy camper. I hear that. So whereabouts are you located at? I am in the little town of Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. Uh, That's in north-central Pennsylvania. We're about 20 miles from the New York border and just a short hike from the famous Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. Oh, wow. Well, what has the weather been? Have you noticed any earth changes, uh, weather changes in the last couple years in your area? Um, I definitely, because we're up here in the in the hills, I definitely noticed that uh, summers are warmer than they, than they have been when I was growing up, and the summers are getting wetter. We, this is the August that we just had is probably the wettest August that I remember. I've lived here for 49 years, and I don't remember a, a wetter time. Well, something is going on. You know where I live up here in Washington State? Uh, you know, for I own this property now, the little mini farm, compound, for almost uh, 20 years now. And every winter, I have a fish pond, and we have fish in it, uh, you know, goldfish. And every year, they're frozen for about four months out of the year. I mean, they they are like an ice a ice cube. Then about, uh, Kevin, about two years ago, I noticed it didn't really freeze all the way through the pond like normal. Maybe like an inch of ice on it. Now, last winter, you know, I maybe had a little bit of ice layer on it for a couple of days and it disappeared. It is weird. And then like in April, we had a, we hit a temperature of 90 some degrees. You know, that the hottest ever recorded where I live at in April was like 71 degrees. So something is going on. I'm definitely noticing some changes. Well, long as it doesn't start snowing in June or July, I'm not going to worry about it. When it starts snowing in June and July, I figure we got a problem. Yes. So why don't you tell everybody, uh, you know, about your books and, you know, and and what got, actually, what got you into writing uh, children's books? Well, I I got into writing children's books. I always, I've, I've liked to, I've always written ever since I was in about fifth grade, I started writing. And I own a book, and I love books. I own a bookstore with my wife. I've owned a bookstore in Wellsboro for 12 years now, this summer. And I noticed that if a child doesn't start reading right around the age of, like, around second, around second grade, if they don't really start embracing it at that age, then they start falling behind their peers. And if they get older, like if they're a teen and they haven't been if they haven't been reading, then, then schoolwork gets harder, and everything is tied into literacy. I mean, even if you if you want to turn a if you want to you know change a tire or or change the world, it's going to be a little bit easier if you are a good reader. So that's I decided that that is the specific market that I wanted to write for, and basically what I did is I wrote a book that I would want to read when I was seven to ten. When I was growing up, I loved cryptids, and I'm sure most of your listeners know what cryptids are, but cryptids are creatures, for those who, who don't know, cryptids are creatures who are unconfirmed by modern-day science. So an example of a cryptid is Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, uh, dinosaurs, werewolves. You know. So I, I wrote my first uh, children's book 
called the Totally Ninja Raccoons Meet Bigfoot. And Totally Ninja Raccoons Meet Bigfoot, that's their origin story. And that is how they how they decide that they're going to become ninjas and they get their first ninja mission. Because what do you do once you become a ninja? No, what do you do, Kevin, when well, you become a ninja? What What's the first thing you do? Well, the first well, first thing is you got to get a ninja job then. So, I mean, once you're a ninja, you got to get a ninja job. So what they do is they answer an ad in the paper, and they get hired on by Gypsy the Cat, who is head of the cat board. Now, have you heard of the cat board? Never have, no. Uh-uh. Well, well, it's a secret organization, so I'm not surprised. So the cat, if, if those of you who have cats, now I love cats, but if you have cats, you've probably at least suspected that cats want to take over the world. And that is indeed true, and it's up to the ninja raccoons to stop that. So the cat board is this international organization who wants to take over the world. So in the first book, The Totally Ninja Raccoons Meet Bigfoot, Gypsy wants the raccoons to do the dirty work for her, capture Bigfoot, so she can use his powers of stealth and her conquest for world domination. Oh, wow. You know cats are spies. You know that. They're always looking at everything and, and eyeing you up and, and, you know, paying attention, you know, what you're doing. They're always, always watching. And do you know why cats sleep so much? I don't. The teleportation tires them out. That... You know how sometimes you walk in a room and then you know there was nothing there and then you turn around and the cat is right there? Well, it's that teleportation. But, you know, it has its cost and it really tires them out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, now, uh, give us more information about it because, I mean, we, you know, you can't just leave us hang. So, like, so the first, the first book that like I said that sets up the premise, and I don't want to give too much away, but of course, cats aren't always. No, they sometimes double cross you. So the cats, it sets up the premise for the series. So the, the cats end up uh, double crossing the ra- raccoons, and the raccoons let Bigfoot go, and you know, they become friends, and that's like the first book. And then Bigfoot's a recurring character in my book. He is. I have eight books in the series. Um, Bigfoot actually comes back in um, number three, like the Totally Ninja Raccoons and the Secret of the Canyon, and he also comes back in at number five with the Totally Ninja Raccoons and the Catmus Caper. And the Totally Ninja Raccoons and the Catmus Caper, the cats want to rebrand Christmas and call it Catmus, and everybody's going to get an empty box and a kitten. And so it's up to the Ninja Raccoons to save Christmas and save Santa Claus. Oh, wow. Now, how many uh, of these ninjas are there? Um, there's currently eight, eight ninjas. I just had my most recent just came out here uh, beginning, like, the first week of July. And that is the Totally, Rac- the totally Ninja Raccoons meet the Jersey Devil. Now, each one of these has a cryptid and or a creature of a folklore or myth so for example I, I usually like i'm centered in pennsylvania and i have a strong interest in pennsylvania folklore and pennsylvania cryptids now i love cryptids from all over but when i started the, the raccoons i usually try to tie in something that is at least you know pennsylvania based 
or that I can write into the story. No, so for example, the latest one has the Jersey Devil, and of course, Jersey is next to Pennsylvania, but the Jersey Devil is also like uh, the Jersey Devil is has been cited for for those of your listeners that may not be aware, is a cryptid uh, bipedal creature flies. Um, he's been based out of the mostly seen in the Pine Barrens of, of New Jersey, but he has been seen in in parts of Pennsylvania. So I'm like, well, that would be a, you know, that's, I always loved the, the Jersey Devil, and I thought that would be a great creature to, uh, to put into the Ninja Raccoon. So he is in the latest one. And my, now, I, I got to ask you, uh, now, is, sure. is that creature something, you know, the, the Jeeper Creepers uh, series of uh, movies, like the first one? You know, mm-hmm. remember, remember that thing uh, was ugly and it had wings and it, uh, like, tore people's parts of their body off and stitched them together. Does it look like something like that? Uh, a little bit. I mean, it's not as not as creepy. The Jersey Devil is... No, there's there's actually online... I've, you know, there's been, there's been many sightings. He, the Jersey Devil is, is smaller. It's you know, said to have, like, a head of... Look, like, it's wings, it's bipedal, it has claws... Um, but it's usually much smaller than than the creature from from Jersey Dev, from the from Jeeper Creepers. Though the the folklore behind it is uh, is thought to be somewhat demonic. Okay, what what's it do? I mean, uh, uh, I, I'm sure you did research on it, for, you know, mm-hmm. for your book. I mean, what, what the folklore on it? I mean, what does it do uh, uh, to people? I mean, does it kill them or attack them or uh, scare them or what? Well, uh, mostly it, it just it just seems to scare them. A lot of times, people will see a creature, and you no, know, it, it has this blood curling scream. So a lot of times, there'll be a blood curling scream. You know, they'll see a creature flying. Um, it, it's not. It's it's not really big enough. It seems to ever. I've never read anywhere where it's claimed to take somebody, uh, to carry somebody off. The 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 one legend behind it is that according to the popular folklore, the Jersey Devil was born to on a stormy night to a human woman. It was uh, the woman had already had. Uh, many children, and this was supposed to be her thirteenth child. And there was rumors that was like, "Oh, the thirteenth child will be will be cursed." And you know, it was born a, a normal baby, but it was when she had it, it was changed to a, a strange creature, and it, it, it screamed and growled, and and it flew up the chimney and headed into the pine barrens. So, uh, of course, a lot of people think that the the Jersey Devil is just a story to scare children, but it's one that a lot of times people have seen. So it's, you know, it's one of the popular cryptids in the in the New Jersey area. Oh wow! I mean, I didn't even know that much myself. I mean, you know, uh, I know about Mothman and and things like that. Uh, how do you come up with the characters in your books? I mean. Uh, does it happen like when you go to bed at night and it just something just pops in your head, or do you sit there and research? Well, this might be a good thing, or or does it does it just pop in your head? Um, a little bit of both. Sometimes, like I'll do like uh, like in my I did quite a bit of research for the, the Thunderbird. Like the fourth one is 
they meet the Thunderbird, and of course there have been local Thunderbird sightings here in, in Pennsylvania, um, some of them quite famous, like the uh, Lyman over in Collarsport, which is about a half hour from me. He, you know, he has some documentation of, of seeing the of seeing the Thunderbirds, and then so I did a lot of research how like they might be pteratorms, like ancient um, birds of prey. And, and sometimes what happens is I'll have this idea, and then I'll do some research, and I'll I'll go to sleep and and just kind of let it brew and see what happens. And when I'm writing the books, I'm starting my I'm starting my tenth my ninth one now. That's going to be the Tolly Ninja Raccoons Discover the Lost World. It's going to be uh, kind of a tribute to the original Lost World by author Coyle Doyle, the creator of. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, kind of the you know, kind of the influence of the Jurassic Park and a lot of lost dinosaur uh, books and movies. No, oh, I know that one movie. I, I, I John McClure, or Claire, or whatever his name was. Uh, they were in a submarine that they captured with the Germans on it. Yet, and they go to this island, and it, it, I think that's was that the like the one of the Lost World where they you know. Uh, ran into like prehistoric animals and then they started running into prehistoric men that kind of advanced a little bit and you know they end up getting trapped there i mean i I, i'm really into that type of stuff so i that you know that might be a very good read for young kids i no i love i love dinosaurs growing up and i you never really outgrow dinosaurs so it's going to have kind of that feel like they're going to discover a a lost world of, of dinosaurs and that's the one that I'm working on now. And what happens with that is, like, I'll, I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll start writing. And I usually can't write more than a couple pages a night. And then what I do is I, I stop and then I go home and I see what happens next. So sometimes I'll go to sleep and you know, see what the raccoons do next, see where the story goes. So when I, when I start writing these stories, I have kind of a rough idea what, where I'm Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. want to do with it, but a story, when you start writing it, um, at least for me, it kind of takes its own, uh, its own way. It finds its own path. Like sometimes I see the, the, the story writes itself, and sometimes I think the hardest part of writing is is getting out of my own way and letting letting it do what it's going to do sometimes. Well, how do you put yourself in a mindset for a younger reader? I mean, I don't know your age, but I mean, you know, how how do you bring yourself into that level where, you know, you kind of uh, be able to communicate with a younger person? It's uh 
No, it's it's one of those things. That it's, it's actually like I've written some. I've written essays. I used to write um, book reviews for the paper, and for uh, writing a children's book is actually harder than what a lot of people think. It's like oh, everybody says, "Oh, I could write a children's book," but yeah, it's the mindset that really is important. So it's it's being um, no, it's that that. I think it's as accessing that that story, that natural storyteller that's in all of us, and being a little silly and having fun. I mean, when I do these, I I really have a lot of fun with these. But like the hardest part is getting in the right mindset. So sometimes a bad like I you know I work at the bookstore during the day, and then after like afterwards I go home and I eat supper with my wife, and um, you know sometimes this time of year I mow the lawn, and then I come back into work, and sometimes a bad day at work can um, can mess up my writing because it's harder to get into that mindset. But it's one of those things. Once I get going, it's you know I, I think all of us has this this uh, this youngster inside us and this part of us that wants to be entertained. And a good book that um, you know is is kind of ageless. So once once I start writing, it it just kind of comes together. But sometimes getting in that in that spot takes some time. What age uh, gr- uh, group do you write uh, write these books for? I mean, um... so the, so the Tully Ninja Raccoons. The ages are um, it's about second to fourth grade, which is you know, roughly seven to ten, and that that's the eight, that's the reading level I did. Um, and that's like when I when you start writing, especially uh, for uh, this because like, you know, I since I have a bookstore and I I know a lot of I know a lot of writers and. And you read, if I, you know, you read books on, on advice on how to write. And usually when you start writing, the advice is to write for an audience. So what I did is I, I write for this audience. And, but what happens is, what, what, what every writer hopes happens is that that audience is bigger than what you think. And I have found that to at least some degree, that's what's happened with this. Because I do have, in fact, just this weekend, um, this past holiday weekend, we had a father who came up that they only visit Wellsboro oh, about once a year, and they stopped by to see if there were any new ninja raccoons out because they they buy them whenever they visit. And so, of course, the latest was out the the, the Jersey Devil, and he said, "Oh, I love your books too because his boys are a little bit younger than the seven to ten and he has to read them to him, but what he does is he reads a chapter a night to him. So I've actually had several adults who love these as well. Well, it sounds like they get into it. How many How many page read are these, out of curiosity? Um, they're about, oh, they're about 50 pages. No, they're about 5,000, um, about 5,000 words. So, like, the, the werewolf is probably the shortest. That's, like, 30 or 31. Um, the Jersey Devil... My latest one got a little bit longer. That one's around, that's around uh, 47, 47 pages. I have I have these set up for what the industry calls a reluctant reader. Now, a reluctant reader isn't necessarily a bad reader, but a reluctant reader is just that reluctant. They don't really like reading. You know, they can't find something that interests them, and so what I did is I made these with relatively short chapters. Um, each chapter has an illustration. So I start off each each chapter has an illustration that is done by 
um, my illustrator, who goes by the name of Jubilee, he writes under a pen name, and each chapter is about three to five pages long, and so like what what my goal with these is, but that is like if it's it's short, so that they feel feel a sense of accomplishment because a lot of times when uh, I've seen here with my my with my experience in the bookstore is that when you're when you're working on finding a book for a child, if it's too they can get intimidated if it's too long, so like so these aren't no they're not real long, no they're they're topics that kids really like, you know kids. Love ninjas, uh, they love raccoons. You no, know, like they love animals. Like they love the cryptids. Oh yeah. And I know when I was when I was young. I mean, I still love cryptids. But when I was young, I remember you know checking out a, a book at the library about the Loch Ness monster and wanting to know more about that. So I put, you no, know, I work those in to the to the story. And then what I do, I what I finish each book with, I finish a, a book with an illustration of the creature. And some information about it, some background, uh, the folklore or background about the creature, and then I, you know, I, I say, well, some people think this is real, and some people don't. You no, know, why don't you make? It's basically what I do is encourage people to like to read more on their own. Is like, well, read up more on your own, and you decide. So is this real? Is this not? You no, know, read more about it, and if, if a child finds something of interest, they're going to read. And that's kind of my goal with these is is to, you know, to get a child interested in reading it. You know, you find something that's fun to read, and then it makes the things that aren't so fun to read, well, it makes those easier to read. And so that's kind of like I, my goal with these is, like, there's already books that you have to read for school. There's books that you need to work for, for that you need to read for your, you know, certain jobs and for your work. And these, you know, these aren't really the ones that you have to read for that. So these are fun no, kind of my main goal with these are entertainment first, and then the education kind of fills in, and then they can, you know, hopefully they'll want to read more. Wow, you know, that's a problem with a lot of kids, the younger ones. I have had eight children. Now, they're all adults now. Out of the eight, only one would ever sit down and read a book. I mean, the other ones, you couldn't get them to read a book no matter what happened. I mean, you could... Even offer money, they wouldn't sit down and read a book. But, you know, back about, I'd say, 10, 15, and going back farther than that, a lot of the books really, I hate to say, didn't have any excitement to them. No, that's true. I mean, there's all types of books. And I remember, like, so, like when I, I'm, I'm like almost 50. I just turned 50, 49 here in May. But when the schools I went to when I was growing up, uh, it's been had been around for a while, and we still learn to read with those terrible Dick and Jane books. Do you remember those? Oh boy, yeah, goes yeah. <laughs> boy, I, I wish I would forget. I mean, that's going to be with me to the day I die. But you know, all the way when I was in grade school, I mean, I have to be honest with you, the, the books had really maybe for their time, but I mean, even that though, I mean, they didn't have no excitement to them. Now, I mean, like what you're you're at, bringing a little bit of the paranormal into it, bringing in you know monsters and and cryptics in it, 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 it and it gives the kids are into it. I mean, right now, you know, on TV, we're back to like monsters and and things like that, which you know we go through those stages, you know, the cowboy stages, then the detective police st uh, stages, then the war type uh, stages. 
you know, then the comedies, uh, uh, in then, you know, like, like Roseanne Barr or her ex show anyway. And, and, but you know, the big thing now is getting back into, you know, like space type movies and, you know, I hate to say it back into like monsters and stuff like that. You got a network. It's called, uh, uh, Comet. Uh, it shows old movies. Kids are into that stuff now. Big time. They do. I mean, I love the I love the monster movies growing up. I love the Godzilla movies. I love the the movies from Universal. I loved like you know the Albert Cell Meet the Mummy. I mean, those were you no, know, they were comedy. They were a little scary, um, and that's kind of like that's one of the things I you know I kind I, I took some inspiration with from these. So these are these books are they're funny. They're they're scary, but they're not too scary. So the creature, I mean, it's appropriate for the for the age level. I have something that, you know, is is kind of scary at first, but not, you know, not overly scary, and, and something to interest them because, you know, sometimes when I, I see like parents want when they they want their children to read is they like it, the important thing is to match the book with the child because sometimes there's a book that that you no know, that you might like growing up. And that child may very well like it too, but they may not. You know, you have to kind of meet a child where where they're at. Oh yeah, but you know, the, I think what you're doing is you're bringing excitement in. I mean, you know, and, and that right there will keep a kid. That's what I, you know, I when I went to school, trying to read a book, it was so boring, you know, and it was I couldn't get past the first couple of pages. You know, I used to joke around like when I was even in, in junior high school. You know, we, we were assigned to read a book uh, for the, you know, the weekend for a class. And, you know, I come back to school and the teacher said, OK, what book did you get? I said, I got War and Peace. And he goes, War and Peace? And I said, yeah, I read it in the closet. And he goes, you read it in the closet? Do you have a light in the closet? I said, no. He goes, how can you read War and Peace in the closet? I said, you can't. That was a bad joke. You know that. <laughs> In other words, I didn't like I didn't like reading. Okay, that, that that's simply put. I mean, what better way can you can get out of reading? Hey, I tried reading a book in the closet. There's no light. I couldn't read it. I didn't read a book, and that's the main thing. Is I mean, you know, the the, the Eamon Black Beauty and all those stuff. I mean, I guess they're classics, and they are. But when you're like eight years old or or in fourth grade and stuff like that. Books like that don't really draw you into it. You got to have some excitement to, you know, to want you to flip the next page. Yep, and that, that's that's what I that's what I do with these. Is you know, is I my goal is to draw the, the child in, and then that way, you know, that they might go on to read something else. So sometimes some of those classics are easier to appreciate once you're older. And you no, know, there are some classics that I've tried to read and just. Just couldn't like I've tried. I've tried to write read Moby Dick several times, and I just can't get past the rendering blubber. Uh, well, I couldn't get past watching it in the movies either with uh, Gregory Peck. You know, back then when they made it, I I could never get into it. It's just you know to me it was not appealing. But you know, I guess some kids back that time, you know, being you know uh, swallowed by a whale and all that stuff. I guess uh, you know I don't know. I, I just don't find it. I, I, I think times have drastically changed, so you got to come out with stuff, 
you know, for our time and, 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 and keep the kids, especially nowadays, because you're competing against video games, you know, and TV and, and movies and the computer and the Internet. So you got to come out with something, you know, in, intrigues them where they want to read. Do and and that's and you have to you have to meet, you have to meet a child where they're at. So for example, like with with Moby Dick, a lot of, a lot of kids these days they've never seen a whale. Well, the only ones they really see is on the news, dead on the beach. Yeah, they, you know they see them in that. So it's so you know, one of my goals with these is like these are set. Like I live in North Central Pennsylvania, so I actually set the books right where I live. Oh wow. So, so, like, one of the nice things about that is, like, from like from talking with kids and seeing what kids are are reading, a lot of times. Now, I've I've been a reader for a long time, and when I read, I all like. Of course, you you hear that the book is always better than the movie, and why? And one of the reasons why that is, there's several reasons, but one reason is like when I read a book personally, I see the I see the movie in my head, and it's always. It's always better than because it's more detail. It's more, it's more full. It's no, it's my own vision of the movie. But what happens with some children if they have is they haven't developed that yet. So of course, my first goal in like with here being the bookstore is my like my most of my interaction is with local children and. So like I'll sell a book and like I'll talk to them about it. and this book is set right here so they can find they can actually visit some of the places that are in this book and that has and children really like that I like that when I was growing up if I read a book that took place in Denver Colorado and I've been to Denver Colorado I'm like wow this is pretty cool I've been here and and like this is where you know the character walked down the street here and that's what I kind of like my goal was with these is that they can kind of start putting that that movie in the mind can kind of start coming alive. And, and of course, like these are available all over, but, but I find that that's been really helpful for a lot of the kids locally. Oh, yeah. Now, hey, you're at the age, you're younger than me. I'm 66. And I still remember when I was a kid, you know, and it wasn't too much of them. There was a couple, uh, oh, like CBS used to have like, you know, a radio broadcast, a play, radio play. You know, things like a Dick Tracy, uh, space things, you name it, you know, adventures and all that stuff. And it used to be on like once a week. And, you know, kids, the problem is you had to sit there, right? And it would be usually late at night. It, the, the show would come on, I think, 10 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, anyway, for me, where I lived at. And they would have this, you know, uh, play, radio play. And you had, you know, close your eyes and you had to imagine like the detective walking down the street and questioning somebody going up the stairs, you know, the steps and all that stuff. You close your eyes and, and you kind of filled in all that, you know, what you don't see in your mind. And it really drawed you into it. And that's what's missing nowadays because kids don't realize before TV came out, it was radio and books and that type of thing made you use your imagination and that's what's lacking with a lot of young people today i hate to say it they just don't have that type of imagination to do it well it's it's no i i really agree with that gary and that's imagination is is like the muscles of the mind and that has to be 
uh, practiced, and that has to be used just like any other muscle or else it doesn't grow strong. And the best time to do that um, is, of course, when you're, when you're younger. Because just like use, just like learning, it's almost like another language, and just like it's a lot easier to to learn another language when you're young than when you start um, getting older. So it's like that's it's that's when it's really important. I mean, I always feel that it's never too late to become an avid reader, but the younger you start, the better, and that it's going to be, you know, it, it's really important. Well, I think it opens up young people's minds, too. I mean, I, I'm sure since you own a bookstore, I, I think... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You can probably tell the difference of kids that don't read versus the ones that do read. I think the ones that, that do read have more of imagination you know they have more imagination and and that just imagination people quite often think imagination and they think oh yeah well it's, it's imagination would be really nice but it's uh, it's more you know imagination is the gateway to you know problem solving and 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 that's what we're going to need you know for the future i mean if mankind has always been clever but if you know if we want to keep that, we have to keep using our mind. So, imagination, creativity isn't just for writing books or or making you no know, artwork. It's for you know making the ni- the next improvement in the in, in the engine. It's making it's the next step for making computers more efficient. It's the next step to making you know um, life for mankind easier. I think I think it makes also a person more fuller because they can enjoy life more. I mean, I I, I hate to say it, but like one of my kids, you know, was so obsessed with, you know, when he was like 13 years old, uh, actually 11 years old, he was so obsessed with video games that he would go over to his friend house, friend's house. They would play and spend the night or the weekend, right? And they would play video games for 24 hours straight, drinking energy drinks like it was going out of, you know, style. The kid, other kid's mother was buying them, like, I don't know how much. Well, besides doing damage to my son, which he ended up becoming an epilep- epileptic uh, from it uh, because of, um, you know, the flashes of the video game on the screen and then drinking high dosages of uh, energy drink. Uh, did some brain damage to him. Seriously. He had like 18 seizures, one right after another. And the, and he's never been the same. And, and and so many kids, rather than picking up a book 
and educating themselves. Okay, look, look how many kids out there came and write. If you tell, give them a sheet of paper and say, "Hey, write a short story," they came and do it. And that's what's scary because they don't have the imagination to be able to to think about it and, and to compose something. And that's where I am scared about with the younger people. Yeah, they might be really good at playing video games. They might be really good at talking about music. But when it comes to, you know, I, I think uh, using their imagination and using their brain power, they're lacking. Exactly. I mean, because it's, it's composing. Like, you, know, you can not just listen to music, but you can compose your own music. You can write your own lyrics. You can, you know, you can write your own stories. If, like I always say, if there's a story that you want and there's nothing out there, well, you can write that. And, and stories are how we... Know how we communicate with each other as a as a species, and how we have for you know from time where we sat around the fire and and talked about you know what was outside the fire, and and that's well, you mean ghost stories and fun things like ghost, that, ghost stories and hunting stories and and stories and just all types of stories, stories about how the day and how we relate information. I mean, you can learn a lot from. From the from stories like you know they were stories of the hunt and how you, you know how you would hunt and to uh, stories of of things that went bumped in the night and caution. So I mean some of those are are entertainment and some of those are uh, cautionary tales of you know it's always of building awareness. I mean if you're going to do something in the middle of the dark, you know, awareness is very important. So those those stories are both um, entertaining and and access a part of um, of the human psych, but they also, um, no, I think they also educate. Oh, they do. Karen Banks is, you know, uh, on our chat line, and she goes, yes, the imagination is endangered. And then Terry Morgan says, kids just don't think nowadays. That's off the chat line, what somebody said. And that's, kind of my my goal with these is to get people and children to think for themselves because like when, when i get done i have something called um because they're because there's there's ninjas and i i enjoyed uh, martial arts growing up i and being a ninja and so i have something called being a reading ninja and this is where you uh you know you i give you a little information about the creature at the end and then you read up more on it and you you find out a little bit more. So these are all to like, you know, kind of what kind of to get their appetite going. Because my goal is, as a course for them to read my books, but not just to read my books, but to want to read other books as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, you know, when I was a kid, I remember my my mom would sit down and you know read stories to me. My grandmother would sit down and read stories to me, and then you know when I got to my kids, you know. Uh, at least a couple of them, they enjoyed it to a certain age. You know, we'd sit down and we'd have story night where we'd sit there for about a half an hour and I would read a chapter or two, you know, of a book they, they chose. And, you know, they would get into it. And, you know, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for the next week for we could go to the next chapter. No, and, and that's what, like, that's what I found that there are, like with with these these are short chapters, so these are great for reading before you go to bed. And actually, like, 
course, before, when I first started writing these, I I tested them. So I just didn't put them out. I, um, so of course, getting in the right mindset to write these. But you also test you also test them too. So I mean, of course, I know children. I have like nieces and nephews. So I would test these on my nieces. And when I first started writing these, like, my nieces were younger. That like, now they're at the age where they can read them themselves. But I would read them and and I would give them the give them to my sister for them to read to my nieces at night and they would read a chapter at night and they would want the she would say oh i wish you would have these be shorter because they want they want more than one because they're a little too long to read the entire thing at one night and they would want more than one chapter which is good well i gotta ask you a question what got you into writing these uh stories kevin well these stories it, it has an interesting background because i I wrote for, I would write essays, like in book reviews, essays for the local paper. I had a column, and you know, newspapers, I don't have to tell you, aren't what they used to be. So the newspapers kind of stopped paying as much. So I, I started writing uh, some screenplays. And so I wrote my first screenplay, and you know, what do you do once you get done with a screenplay? Yeah, what do you uh, actually? I mean, I, I I've had a couple people who on recently that wrote like for like Star Trek: The Next Generation and uh, and and a couple other the Star Trek's different series, and it boy it, they had to put a lot of research into it. It's a lot of research. It's a it's a tough it's a tough market to to break into. So I wrote I wrote I wrote some screenplays and basically. Uh, I didn't know what to do once I got done with writing a screenplay. I tried shipping. I tried, um, you know, shipping it around a little bit. I didn't have really any contacts in the industry, so I, I just kind of let it sit. And then what happened was, like, I had this idea for the Ninja Raccoons, like a long time ago, meaning like maybe like six, seven years ago. And but I had the books. Like, I had already had the bookstore, but the bookstore is more than a full-time job. And you know we're open most days of the week. Like this time of year, we're open seven days a week. So when I and I when I get home, I I didn't you know I didn't really want to do anything else. And I but I had this idea that I like a long time ago that I sat down with my friend and we did some concept art. But then it just kind of got put on the back burner. One of those things like oh I'm going to get to and I never did. And then what happened is after I wrote um, one of my screenplays, I saw that. Nickelodeon, the TV station, was holding a contest, and they were looking for a new animated TV series. And I'm like, wow, the the Ninja, I'm like, oh, like, like the Ninja Raccoons. This idea had like that would be a great series, because of course, you know, most people have heard of the um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, well, that's nice, but they're turtles. I mean, turtles are ninjas. That's that's kind of crazy. But I always thought raccoons would be perfect ninjas because you know they already have the mask and they have those little <laughs> human do. hands and if you've ever seen a raccoon like try to get or you know not try i mean pretty much they always do like you know get down your bird feeder i mean they're little ninjas already so i'm like you know, raccoons would be perfect ninjas so what i did is i wrote the first i wrote it in screenplay format and i wrote the what become the I wrote a scene for the contest, and I sent it in. And, of course, what they did is they got lots of entries, so they ultimately passed. 
but I had I I started and uh, I wrote what became the first chapter of the Totally Ninja Raccoons Meet Bigfoot. And once I got going, what I what I said is like, well, I really like this. I want to see how it turns out. So I so I so I wrote the rest of the book, and I just kept going from there. Oh wow! And how did the the sales in the first book do? The sales of the first book were like they were okay, but what happens is, especially with the series, is they were no. I I I brought it out and and what happened is some people bought it and to support me and then some of the kids that we knew bought it and then the sales were okay but what i did is i kept going because it was just one book so one of the things that i found out especially when uh, when you're writing a book like what a lot of people will do is they'll write a book and they'll say well i wrote a book and it did okay but i only sold a couple and, and what you do is you write another book and just like if you're a band like a lot of times, what happens is that somebody says, "Oh, wow! I, I I heard this new band," and then they'll find out an album, and the album that they just released is like their fourth album. So like, you know, so the Ninja Raccoons really didn't start taking off until they hit about like the third or fourth book. Well, that's that's pretty much you know I know other people who you know write, and you know I I will say this I had this one guy come on my show that his. Uh, publisher for two months was sending me emails almost every day saying john doe wants to come on your show i think he'd be a good fit to be on your show and he wrote a book about zombies okay and i figured okay because the walking dead you know that it's a hot subject right now isn't it and i get him on the show and the first thing he says well i don't want to talk about my book because i don't want to give any information away now, I had this guy booked for two hours. I was sweating, you know. He didn't want to say anything about, you know. Uh, the only thing I got out of him in two hours, it was about a boy and a girl, you know, th- that woke up in the morning and the whole world changed and there were zombies running around. That's all I got out of him. So for two hours, I had to go in my mind and try to remember every, you know, zombie movie it was ever made, uh, you know, voodoo movie, any of that type of stuff, and talk for two hours. And, you know, and then at the end of the show, I asked him, I said, how many books have you sold? And he goes, well, it's been out for a year. And I said, well, out of curiosity, how many books have you sold? And he goes, I haven't sold any. And I'm going, okay, now I understand why you haven't sold any, you, you know, this, you have to, this, like, when you come on my show, you got to talk a little bit about your books, which you're doing a great job. And I, people want to get to know you and, and all that stuff. And then the guy couldn't understand why nobody was buying his book. Well, there was his reason why nobody bought his book. And no, and having the bookstore and, and being an author, people, people ask, you know, people ask me, well, how do you sell your books? And you sell your books every day. Because, like, people come into the bookstore, and, and like, I love my books, and my book, but, you know, my book isn't for everybody. And, and I'll tell you, so what I'm, like, as a bookseller, my goal is to, is to match the right book with the right person. And that's why there's so many books. So, for example, there's some people that would never read a zombie book. So I don't know, so I'll, I'll you t- the best way is to talk with somebody, just like you were saying, Find out what their interests are, and there's some people that they'll never read a zombie book. And like these books aren't for everybody, but there's certain kids that just love these books, 
and there's adults that love these books. And if you don't love these books, well, there's other books. And we'll find you the right book. Oh, yeah. Um, where can, out of curiosity, where can they find, you know, if they don't live in your town, how can they get your books? Okay, so how you can buy my books, if you, uh, we, the, book, the bookstore has a website, and it's very easy to remember. It's wellsboroughbookstore.com, and those books, um, those will come right from the bookstore. We always keep them in stock, and I sign those books, so you can buy a signed book from allsboroughbookstore.com. And, you know, of course, these, this is 2018, so you can get those books wherever books are sold. So I, I, I have a small bookstore, so I really like small business. So if you're lucky enough in your town to have a bookstore in your town, you can go and you, you can get the, that bookstore to order them because we have lots of books. But no matter how many books we have, we can never have them all. So there might be a great book out there that we don't have in stock, and we can order it. So, I mean, if you have a bookstore, you can order it, and and they'll get it right in for you. And, of course, there are some people that are only going to buy online, and you can buy you can buy these online. They're stocked wherever books are sold. So you can go on barnesandnoble.com and walmart.com. Um, there's on eBay. Uh, there is... Can you get them on Amazon? You can get them on Amazon, and they are they are available internationally. So uh, if you uh, if you live in, like, for example, Britain, and you want to go into Waterstones, you can get them at Waterstones or order them, or you can order them online in in, in the UK and different. Uh, I guess they're available in Australia and that too. But I mentioned the the UK because I've actually sold some books in the UK, and that's that was pretty fun to have um, royalties coming in from a, a UK sale. I really enjoy that. Well, guess what, uh, Kevin? Do you know our audience base is huge out of the UK? I was so shocked. Our average listenership now from the last time you were, you know, because I've been doing this for a year. I started, you know, broadcasting back in 76. Then I, you know, retired about 10 years ago out of anything to do with radio. And, you know, Art Bell got me back into broadcasting, you know, before he passed on about a year ago. And, you know, uh, it was funny, maybe uh, the name of the show or whatever. I started getting a huge audience out of the U.K. In fact, I had a lot of guests out of the U.K. And I think probably about 30% of our audience base is out of the U.K., which we're averaging right now about 150 to 170 plus thousand listening to the show live, uh, downloads, and then, you know, uh, replays on all the different apps. But the funny thing is, you mentioned Australia, too. It lately is like they just found us in Australia, and we're getting a large listenership out of Australia. So there's maybe a, a good plug there for you tonight on these. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Books. Well, that's great. And, and it's uh, kind of the thing with, like, I have a, you know, th- these books are a little silly. And I, and like I said, but they've, they've been pretty popular in, in the UK. So, um, yeah, if you're in the UK, check them out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to understand, I mean, the civilization compared to what we're at in the United States, you, you know, you go back a long time and, and the paranormal thing or anything that has anything to do with the paranormal or, you know, uh, cryptics or anything like that is really even more popular out of the UK uh, than in our own country. It, it, it's shocking. And, you know, it, it is anything with cryptics in it. It, it, it is just you know, hot right now. I, I know. I think crypt like one that like my, I also enjoyed cryptids when I was growing up, and I still do. And I think I think one of the I think you know the the interest in cryptids is 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 universal because there's I know for me what it is with me is like I always want to feel like there's something out there to discover. So I always enjoyed, especially now, like you know, like you no, know, there's. I, I love the idea that you know there might be dinosaurs still out there somewhere in the in the Amazon or in the in the Congo or you know I love the idea that there's something that you know we don't know and that we can that we can still that there's still more something there's still more things to find there's still more there's the unknown there's that that hidden factor that that's out there and, and it's that human need I think to always discover something that's what I think that that is at least for me, and I think that's one of the main things about these is the the human curiosity. I, I, that's what I believe, anyway. Well, you know, how can I say it? Like I said at the you know beginning of the show, you know, nowadays, and I don't know how have you noticed it, but I just noticed that a lot of young kids don't read anymore. It's I, I hate to say it, the internet has really messed up young people the way they think i mean you know they're missing something out of their childhood that they're never going to get replaced no that that's true because i mean i love the internet like um of course it hasn't been around for a good part of like my development and i like i like it to you know i like to be able to look up oh well what's what's this and be able to google it and have an answer but that sometimes that's the no that's when the things were well you know, it's sometimes it makes things too easy, or you know, everything is boiled down to a mem, and you know what you know what we used to call bumper sticker philosophy. It's like it, it just fits on a bumper sticker or fits in a in a mem, and that's that can be amusing in that, but that's not it's not very deep, it's not very thorough, it's not it's not enough sometimes. Well, you know, I find kids that go to school, and I hear it from other parents quite often. The internet has really caused kids, right? They get good, better grades now, but but the, the problem is, right? They go home with their homework instead of having to read books, you know, to get educated about the subject that they're, you know, writing the essay on, or you know, uh, their home homework was not based on. They go on the internet. Oh, they type in this. Okay, there. Okay, I'll change a couple words. There it is. They put it down. They bring it to the teacher. They get a, a good grade. 
they, they didn't have to digest anything. No, it's no. I I I, I agree. It's just having the answer handed to you isn't is is too easy sometimes. It's so. I mean, they might be getting better grades, but they're not necessarily being better at thinking, and that's that's what's important. I believe. I I think it is. Yeah. Uh, how is your sales really good in, because uh, I'm just curious, around where I live, there used to be some major bookstores. They're all gone. You know, the big ones, the Barn Noble, uh, Noble uh, it used to be up here where I live. They moved out several years ago. Uh, they they came in and, you know, built a huge, beautiful building. And, you know, it was really busy the first year or two. And then all of a sudden it was like empty. And then they end up closing it. I mean, how is it affecting you? You know, uh, maybe in a smaller town. With, are you the only bookstore in that town? Uh, we are the only bookstore in a town. Like uh, Tioga County is a big county um, in Pennsylvania. Um, Wellsboro is the county seat, but like we are, I believe, the only bookstore in the county. It's a no. We're we're pretty rural, and no, it's not. It's not an easy way to make a living. No, as my as my dad, who uh, he recently passed, he's like, "Do you make any money doing that?" And I'm like, "Well, we we make some, and I love doing it." And I said, and "If there was an easy way to make a living, I wish you would have told me, because <laughs> there's not really any easy ways to make a living. I guess not. Nobody's told me anyway." <laughs> well, you know what? I can honestly say this: I back in the '80s, I started out with a two hundred and fifty dollar investment. Uh, within a year, I was making almost $4 million for about four years, and that's when computers just started coming out. And then it took a big dump. So all this money I made, I lost every cent. Every cent was gone. So there, there was an easy job. It made a lot of money for a short period of time, and it, it just, like, vaporized overnight. So I mean, it's imp- it's important to do something that you love doing, and it sounds like you love writing and and owning a bookstore, and that that you know I think right there is better than doing something you don't want to do. And it's like, and one of the things with with this is, um, no, I am. So I I do write, but like I am also like doing school visits. So part of part of uh, being reading. Um, being, having read and being creative is is you know, learning to do other things. So, no, the bookstore business is you no, know, it's it's tough. But like one of the things I've I've started doing is I started doing school visits, and so I, I did some school visits earlier this year, and when I went and talked. So like when when I was growing up, this is a pretty rural area. So actually, I make the joke because it's not actually a joke. Um, but when I was growing up. The school I went to didn't even have a library. We had um, there was a book now there was a bookmobile that would come by uh, once or twice a week. I don't remember how 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 many times a week, and I was always you know I always had fun going out to the bookmobile to pick a book. But it's you no, know, I never had an author drop by when I was growing up. So one of my goals is to is to you know talk to kids and talk to them a little bit about the writing process and I'm having I'm having fun doing that so that's something that I've I've started reaching out and branch and and doing now. Well that you know what I remember and I remember the name of the the 
the uh, librarian it used to from the bookmobile it used to come into like my first grade class, believe it or not. It was Miss Sharon or Mrs. Sharon. And she would sit, you know, like twice a month, she would come in in our class, right, and and read a short book to us. And the way she read it, you just got drawn into it where you wanted to read. That's, no, that's my goal. When I, when I read, I, I, like when I do my presentation, I talk a little bit about the Ninja Raccoons. I, I do a reading of my first chapter. I talk a little bit about the writing process and the first goal when you do this is to be is to be entertaining, not to be, you know, not to be boring. Because, you know, you know, as you mentioned, you're competing against a lot of things. And if you if you go up in front of a bunch of kids and you do a boring reading of a book, they're going to say, "Well, that's well, that's boring." Oh yeah. <laughs> so you make it fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your books are, you know. Uh, it, it, it draws you into it. I mean, you got a good twist to it. I mean, you got like you know, a little bit of the paranormal into it. You got like how the raccoons, you know, got together and formed uh, the ninja group uh, club or whatever. It, it, it really, it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it would, with younger people, they would be intrigued in it. I mean, I've read some other books that authors have sent me that want to come on my show. And I, I, I get past the first five pages and I go and, no, this won't work out. I mean, you know, it, this won't work out. Uh, I was intrigued last time you were on the show because I had a lot of people say that we need more people writing books like you do. We do, and and kind of one the there is a you know if you if you write a book, I always I always you no know, because people say because you no know, kids do love these books, so I it's. It's one of those things where I get good feedback. I know kids are loving the book. I have I have eight of them. I wouldn't I wouldn't have written eight if somebody wasn't reading them. I had like actually one of the reasons I finished my last one was because I had several children come in and say, "Oh, oh, raccoons!" and they're like, "Oh, but I have all those." And so they were all cut up. They had read all seven, so I I really needed to write the eighth one. And, now, now, since you've written the eighth one, what are you gonna what are you gonna write now? What's what's next on the plate for Kevin? Well, I am I am starting the ninth one because the eighth one is the the one that, that came out in July is the one about the Jersey Devil. So I am writing the one that's uh, about the dino, about dinosaurs. It's the Totally Ninja Raccoons um, Discover the Lost World. So I am writing the next one, and and that's one of the things that kind of keeps me going is. Is I have, and that's the nice thing. It's it's both nice and a little strange because being a part of like into the like with you reading public every day because they read them and then like they'll come up to me like oh I, when's the next one and it's both like a little like oh, I need to write and at the, in the same time it's it's really gratifying because I know I know children are reading them and that's a, it's one of the nice things about writing for children I found with me is that. Is that they give you feedback. So if a child reads it and loves it, he'll let you know. And if he hates it, he'll probably let you know that too. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean so that, I, that, they'll actually, hide it away, and then the, you you sit there and ask them, "Did you read it?" Uh, yeah. Well, what's it about? Oh, I don't remember. You know, they never read it. Well, it's, I have a I have a nice story about I have because we're 
No, we are a tourist town like during the summer. So I had a family. This this happened about two weeks ago. So we had a family that was camping in the area, and we we're open on Sundays this time of year. So they come in on a, on a Sunday. It was a rainy Sunday, so it was kind. Of, it wasn't really nice to do anything outside. So they come into the bookstore, and he bought um, my last Ninja Raccoon, and he he you no know, then they. They, they they stayed in town for the next couple of days, and they he come in on Wednesday, and he's like, oh, do you have the next Ninja Raccoon written? And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't yet. That's like, and his mom said that, you know, he had read it twice in, in the last two days. Oh, wow. That And how old was the kid? He was, he was 10. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that is in, really intriguing because, you know, uh, this reading it twice. I mean that it, that that is honors to you because you see a lot of kids they'll you know have a hard enough time reading a book once, let alone you know reading it twice. So that that tells me you got enough suspense in that book that uh, you know is keeping interest to a ten year old. No, they're still they're they're fun. So they're like I said, it's you know another child might not have been as interested in that because. Maybe he didn't like cryptids or that. So, like I said, there's not. I mean, every author wants to think that their book is for everybody, and I and I want to think that too. But it's not. I mean, there are some people that aren't going to read my books, um, but you no, know, my goal is to write for a certain audience. And if you like cryptids, and if you like ninjas, and if you like raccoons, you're going to like these books because they are fun. And like I said, I've I've had lots of people. Like I said, at this time, like I have eight of them out now, and I have people that are all caught up. So I have some people that because the ninja, the Jersey Devil came out like in the beginning of July. So I have several people uh, local that are all caught up. So that's going to make me start writing number like the next one. I'm I'm right now I'm kind of plotting it out, but I'm going to have to sit down and really you know, work on it in earnest because there's people that are, that are waiting. So I'm going to start working on the next one. Well, I I certainly would because it it tells there's a demand. I will say this, Kevin, you know, doing even my talk show, you know, back about a little over a year ago when Art contacted me and talked me and and getting back into doing something rather than, you know, ride my motorcycle. That's all I was doing, you know, retired. I was bored, you know, and, you know, Art would call me up occasionally and he'd ask me what I was doing. And I said, not much of anything. You know, he talked me into getting into doing you know what I'm doing now, and what I notice and what scares me, and then it'll make sense here after what I say. Okay, so give me about a minute. What I did before I decided to go ahead and do this, uh, invest my time and money to get this going, is I listened to hundreds of different paranormal talk shows on the internet, and I came to a conclusion: a lot of people can go out and buy a ten, twenty dollar microphone off of eBay, plug it in their computer. Uh, and start talking and think that they got a talk show and that, uh, you know, they're experts at it. And it, it, they do a lot of damage because they don't, one, they don't know what they're talking about, that the show quality is really bad. And uh, it just really offended me because, like I said, I got into broadcasting back in 1976. You know, so I'm not a new person when it comes to, you know, talking on the radio. 
And I really got offended with a lot of these people's shows. And then Facebook Live, people get on there and, you know, they're sitting there doing a whatever type of show, you know, and people are walking by drinking a can of beer and they're they're, they're trying to do a show. And I'm going, you know, this is weird. Now, well, the reason why I'm saying this is I have had so many people send me. I got a whole room full of books. Authors send me books all the time. And I'll, I, you know, to be a, you know, I haven't read your book, so you need to send me at least one of your books down the road. But uh, I, I read, you know, their books when they send them to me or read part of it if I can. And I, I, I don't understand. I don't know. I, I blame that, I guess, on Amazon and these other companies that do self-published books. that They'll publish anything, you know, right off the bat. But it's really bad. It's like Amazon. You can go on there and write a book, upload everything to them, and they print it on demand and then send it out. And, and the quality of the type sucks. The, they, they don't, the proofreading is not there. Uh, the story plots are not there. So, it, you know, it's just a lot of people out there writing books that all of a sudden think they can be an, a writer and you you got to have the imagination. you got to be able to put all this stuff together to make it intriguing, If it's even if it's for a young kid or if it's for an adult. And that's where I think a lot of problem is. A lot of young people now, I'm talking young, in their 30s, don't even know how to write a book because they probably never read one when they were young. That's, I agree completely because one, one of the biggest, I believe I'm, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, I can't believe, I can't remember which writer, but, but basically, every writer that I admired growing up, I mean, I've read, I don't know how many books i read. I still read, like, I probably read at least two books a week. And I grew up reading thousands of books, and every writer... I believe it was Stephen King. Uh, he's like, if you want to be a writer, you first you have to be a reader because it's it's. No, I have thousands of books that I've read that I have an idea on how they put together, and then of course even once you write a book, you uh, you know that's all like that's all a place to start. But writing a book is different. But you still need all, like some of these something to go off on when and when you first start writing, you usually. No, start off writing like one of your favorite authors. Just like if you wanted to be a musician, you don't just grab a guitar and start playing. I mean, you you listen to thousands of hours of music. You have to love music. You, you know, you usually what most musicians do is they start off 
singing their singing or playing their favorite songs, and then no, then you learn to play your own songs. But you have to learn you have to learn somewhere. And 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 I I use music because sometimes I kind of see it almost as as sometimes writing a book I, I almost see it as as writing a song because you write. You write, you write the basic plot, but then there's like there's undertone, there's like back rhythm. It's you know it all comes together. And when you're first doing it, it's like when I I do the first couple drafts. Like I don't even let anybody see it until I have like at least a second draft. Oh yeah. And then I have and then I have an editor because um, even for the children's book because like one of the mistakes a lot of people make is they're like, well, I'm my own editor. Well, that's a, that's your first mistake. There might be a handful of masters out there that can be their own editor, but I haven't met any of them yet. I mean, even Stephen King has an editor. You know, Ray Bradbury had an editor. You know, you have to get it. You have to get it to an editor. You have to. You have to refine it. You have to smooth the plot out. Yeah, to make it flow. I mean, you know, that's I, I got a stack of books over here. You know, that I started reading. And there was no flow to the book. And, you know, I, I actually went to the point of one of these people, and I'm not mentioning names, but I asked him, I said, well, how long did it take you to write this book? And it was like a 330-some-odd-page book. Just take a guess how long it took him to write that book, from the beginning to the end. Oh, I'm, I'm going to guess that he said 30 days. Now, how about a week and a half? week and a half? He said a week and a half to write it. It just came out of his head, and you know what? The, I, I maybe if I, I I don't do drugs, but maybe if I started doing drugs, I don't drink. Maybe I drink two beers a year. Maybe if I drank those two beers at one time and then started reading this book, it would make sense. Yeah, that that might be a rough draft, but I spend more time in that on on a children's book. And actually, I've written like uh, I have an adult book that I wrote, an adult novella, and. That one took me, oh, see, it's like, it, I don't even keep track of how long it takes me because it'd be depressing because sometimes, um, like anything, it takes how long it takes. Cause sometimes I'll work on a book and I'll have to put it aside. And each, I, I usually do, like even for my children's books, I usually do like at least four or five drafts. Like I said, I have, I don't even let my wife read it until I'm on at least a second draft. Oh, yeah, because I'm willing to bet you, you write your first draft, right? And then you read it a couple times, and you go, well, no, I, I, I need to change this a little bit. I need to do this. I, and you do it the second time, you read it again. Oh, I can make it a little bit better. I can do this and this. I need to add this into it. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And, like, and one of the first things when, when somebody writes a book, um, I, 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 and this is one of the things I talk about when I get in front of kids, is like, give yourself permission to suck. Because, like, the first draft, um, and this is, like, for some of us who are a little bit, like, wanting to be perfect, and, and nobody is, but when the first draft is just get something done. And that's important, and that can take a while. That takes longer than most people think, but then you have to go back and you got to fix it. you got to smooth it out. You have to add to it, take away from it. And what, when, what you mentioned, and, I, and I've seen this myself, a lot of people, like, do that first draft and like they get it done and they're like, Oh, I'm done. No, the hard parts just started. <laughs> oh yeah. So now do you self publish your books or do you have a publisher or how, how, how do you do it? 
Well, actually, um, yes and no. So actually, I do self-publish, but what I, I did in essence is I set up my own publishing house. So I, I set up my publishing house called For My Shelf Books and Gifts. And when I when I started writing these, I did no, I did do the whole agent thing. I sent out the first, I did a lot of research, and uh, I wrote the first Ninja Raccoon. And once I was pretty happy with it, I started looking for an agent. But what, before I start looking for an agent, I did a lot of work. And what most of them want to do is most of them want to know what you're working on now because they don't want this one-hit wonder. They don't want somebody who says, oh, I've just done this one book, and now I need you to pick it up. At least you, you know, at least you've, you know, you're Lee Harper and you wrote, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, you're going to have to have a couple books out before, you know, you catch on most of the time. There's people who get lucky, and so I, I started looking for an agent. And I had one agent that was really interested, and they kind of strung me out all summer. It was like the summer of 2015, and he's like, well, like, I'm I'm not sure. Let me keep, let me let me check on this and let me check the market and let me do this. And then, and what I did is I kept writing because most of them want you to have something else. And then what ultimately that agent thought, he said that he thought my project was too much like another book that a, a current client of his had. So I, I kept writing and I kept wondering, you know, I'm like, well, should I look for another agent or what? And I'm like, well, I have a bookstore, so I know, I know a little bit about the process, and I you know I've written before, so it's like I'm not just somebody who started writing. I wrote for the local paper for like eight years. Yeah, I wrote for about eight years for the local paper, a weekly column, and I'm like I'm going to go ahead and do this myself. But what I did is I put together a team. So, for example, I, my friend, um, he's the illustrator. So my strength is is writing. And his strength is illustrating, so he did the illustrating. And then I did, uh, I found another local person to do what's known as the formatting. He did, he's a graphic designer, so he's the one that makes it look like a book. And then what I did is I used Ingram Spark, which is the company that we buy books from. Like we use Ingram, which is one of the world's largest wholesalers, and they have a distribution, so you know, they, they upload it to their system so that people in bookstores, and then they upload it to all the major wholesalers so that it's worldwide. But I know the right price to to, to market them because one of the things I'm sure you've seen with with books is somebody says, "Here's my book on zombies, and it's 19.95." I'm like, "Well, that's nice, but you know, I can get this mass market for 8.99 by a world famous author who I already know, like he already has four books out, and he's." No, he's guaranteed to be at least okay. I mean, not maybe not every book is a home run, but you know, the next Stephen King comes out that you can buy for, you know, twenty four dollars in hardcover, and you know it's going to be at least entertaining. You know it's going to be a solid hit. So you have to price your books correctly. And then, so I, I use, I, so I did use Ingram Spark, but what I do is I do the same things that every um, every author, every big author does, and that is. I, I write the book, and I have a couple drafts, and then I have my wife read it. Now, you can't, just have, you can't always just have your wife read it, but my wife happens to be um, a, a teacher. So, like, before she went into the bookstore, 
she was, you know, she had, she had gone to college for a teacher. So my wife reads it and she edits, she edits, she finds, she reads it for story to make sure that the flow is right. She'll make some changes. And then I use an editor that, um, that I don't have, no, that I'm not married to. <laughs> okay. Because it's, you know, it's nice to have a wife that is um, a very talented uh, reader and is good at what she does, but, you know, it's, it's always good to have somebody that isn't as emotionally attached to you so that she can give her opinion on it. So I use an editor that I pay, and then I do what's known as a two-pass. So what that means is she, I send it to her, and by the time I send it to my editor, this is like the fourth edit, and then she edits, edits it and sends it back to me, and then I make some changes. I make the typos that she caught. Um, I may or may not make some of the changes she suggested, um, but I pay her, so I mean I pay her for her opinion, and sometimes I use it and sometimes I don't. That's the, that's the nice thing about um, being self-published is you get to make that decision but you no know, sometimes that's a bad one like for example i had in my totally ninja raccoons meet in the secret of nesmic lake there is uh there is a scottish fold a scottish fold is a cat from britain and i used a lot of scottish dialogue and my editor had me tone she thought i should tone it way down and i did tone it down but i didn't tone it down quite as much as what she wanted because i wanted some of that scottish brogue in there but i but i thought she was right she's like well that might be difficult for kids so i am going to tone it down quite a bit not not quite as much as what she suggested but almost as much and then i will make those changes and then what i usually do is um then it's pretty much done and then what I usually do is send it to my formatter, and then he usually, you know, he reads it as, as he's formatting, and sometimes he catches one or two things. So it's like, you know, each one has quite a bit of polish, and you know, that's really important. Now, I, the reason why I'm asking you is, how about these companies you, you, you see on Facebook? It says, hey, self-publish your book. We can uh, publish your book over the weekend and have it back to you the following week. I mean, they, are they ripping people off? Um, most, mostly, yes. I mean, no, it's most of the time I feel that they are ripping people off because they don't really this. Now, if you if you if you had gone through the stages yourself before you submit that then it's okay, but then you're still paying too much because they don't edit it for you. They just kind of put it together and format it, and you know, they just really, like, their business is mostly gathered on numbers. So, for example, I have a guy format it to me, but he sends it to me before, so meaning like if I don't like the way it's formatted, he changes it. He just doesn't throw it together. I mean, and, of course, I love the way he, he does it because I've done 11 books with him. Yeah. So they just kind of format it like kind of real rough. They don't put any of that extra touch on it, and and then they throw it out there. And then somebody says, "Well, how many books have you sold?" And no, they'll say, "Well, none," because the book doesn't look like doesn't look very good, um, you know, and they don't know how to sell it. And well, you, the the reason why I say that because I get so many books here, right? I see books where the text is slanting on the page, is not even straight, 
Or you flip one page, you can barely, the ink wasn't even on it enough to be able to read, you know, and then the, the quality of some of these books are like, and they're asking like 20 bucks for the book and you're, you're reading it and then you go, that's so unprofessional. I mean, you know, when the text is not straight, go, you know, and it's slanting and then you have, you know, words that, you know, weren't uh, printed uh, with enough ink and all that stuff. And that's what I I I always tell these people. You got to be careful who you use because they don't care. They're in the business of making money. They they don't care if you sell your books or not. They you you buy fifty books or a hundred books and they print them up for you. Hey, that's your problem to market them. And who's gonna you know if especially if you want to write more than one book and if you get something like that, you're gonna look at that and you go, wow. No, most of the time when that happens, they are. no, the consumer is going to rip, be ripped off. I mean, you have to be, you have to be careful. And like I said, I use I use Ingram Spark, which is owned by Ingram, who is a company who's been around for years. I mean, they're a wholesaler of books. So, and sometimes even even then, sometimes mistakes happen. But if a mistake happens, I call them up and I get it taken care of. Because, you know, any like you know, we get books here at the bookstore, and sometimes you'll get one that's been misprinted i mean i've had a stephen king misprinted where you know they got the print backwards or like as you're putting it together like what they do is they print a book out in portions and then put them together and sometimes some portions will get mixed up in that so i mean that that happens with with any that can happen with any book but if a, a true professional company will take care of that okay and no. most of those companies out there are fly by nights yeah now before i get you to tell a scary story here because uh, the time is almost up, I want you again to tell people how they can get a hold of you. If you want to give out your phone number to your bookstore, feel free to do it. Uh, where they can get these books, I think it, if you anybody out there has a grandkid or a child, you know, twelve and under, you know, and and, and maybe doesn't like reading, maybe you got to grab one of these books because I got a funny feeling your your child or grandchild's going to pick it up and and start reading it. Child's going to love this because, like I said, I wouldn't have written eight of these books if if somebody wasn't reading them. And where you can get them, you can. Well, I'll give you the phone number of the bookstore. The bookstore is open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from Monday through Saturday. Um, we're even open on Fridays. We're open Friday. I mean Sundays. Sundays we are open 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And you can call this bookstore at five seven zero. Seven two four five seven nine three, and get a real person. Or, you no, know, being the internet age, you can you can order the book at uh, midnight in your underwear when you're sitting in front of the computer. And our website is wellsboroughbookstore.com, and that's a secure site. Those books will come right from our bookstore, and you no know, signed. I, I sign them. And if you want, you can also leave a little message, and I can personalize them. I'll personalize book can be really a nice touch for a child that we can put a um like their name in there and that's really nice and of course you can buy them at any bookstore they can order them if they don't have them in stock you can just say i'd like the totally ninja raccoons and they will go right on and they can order them for you or you can order them yourself online at any at the major retailers like walmart.com um there's some sellers on ebay that sell them uh, you know, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, 
Um, some of the other uh, bookstores, like some of the other bookstores, like I said, they're available overseas in the U.K., so Waterstones or an online uh, company in Britain can order them for you. And, yeah. Well, it, it, it sounds good. So, you know, total... Uh uh, yeah, I'd be a total good book for a young kid, uh, male, female, you know, get them into reading, get them into something, you know, exciting. And, and, and that, I think, is awesome. Now, we got about five minutes. What can you come up with a scary story for tonight? Okay, well, I'm going to use some local folklore, and I'm going to use a story that has some... Now, this is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has a lot of... Germanic settlement, so uh, werewolf legends are pretty strong here in in Pennsylvania. Okay. This one is a local legend that actually I'm here um, downtown Wells, where I'm actually doing this the radio show from the bookstore, where it's nice and quiet at night. So where this happened is right up the street, about three, probably about three miles, and it's called. This story um, was told to. Uh, I wrote it. I read it in the silent in the story about because I read both fiction and nonfiction. So this was a story told by Governor Stone. Governor Stone was a governor of Pennsylvania, and he was actually from Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. We're kind of proud of that because there's only about three thousand people. So he's the only governor that's actually came from from Wellsboro because we're a small rural town. And this story is called the Harbinger of Death. So this is a story that was told by Governor Stone. It was told to him when he was a child. So this is a small rural town, and and everybody knows each other, but there was this one man who was rumored to be a pirate. You know, he, was, he wasn't like everybody else. Most of the people knew each other, went to church with each other, would see each other, and he, he kept to himself. He never went to, he would, he'd never go to church. He'd swear a lot, which, and you know, he was old. He was grumpy, and people. And he, there was rumors that he was a pirate or a man of ill repute. So people kind of stayed away from him. But the one local pastor, he always, you know, tried to be friendly to him and that. And one day, this man got sick, and you know, he, the local pastor, you know, wanted to, you know, would visit him and and hope that he would get better, and a neighbor would come by. And so the, 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 the old man that was rumored to be a pirate, he had gotten really ill, so the, 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 the pastor and a local farmer were, were out in the, were, you know, were by his bedside, and they were out, it was late at night, it was getting close to midnight, and there was this noise, and they were, they were out in the room uh, outside his bedroom, they were kind of hold, they were thinking that he was getting close to, to passing away, so they were they were you know, holding vigil so that he wouldn't pass away by himself. And they were it was late at night, and they were sitting there reading. And then this wolf-like creature walks into the room. And they just you know this big, big jaws and just these big glowing eyes. And they just looked at each other and they they couldn't even move. And the, and the wolf-like creature went into the the old man's room and they they looked at each other like oh my goodness we have to do something so they jumped up and just as they were jumping up the the clock struck midnight and then they went into the room 
and the creature was gone, and they had both seen the creature go in, and the creature was gone, and then the old man was dead. And then, so the rumor was that the, the devil had come back to take his soul when he passed away. Oh, wow. So, uh, tomorrow, you know, yeah, hey, what can I say? People, you need to look again. Total, uh, uh, again, the name of the, the series of the books, again, it's Total uh, Ninja Raccoons. The, the totally Ninja Raccoons. Okay, and if you, if you just Google, I mean, no, it is the Internet age, so if you just Google the Totally Ninja Raccoons, a lot of the titles will come up. There's a YouTube clip of me talking about the Ninja Raccoons, and... Now that will lead you to if you if you can't think if you can't remember the name of the bookstore, you know you just Google "Totally Ninja Raccoons" and you will you will come across them. And if you if you somehow forget to, you can actually send go onto our website, hit send me an email. I'll give you a link to get to them, and that way they can get a hold of you. Great, I will do that. And then I, it's like I you know we had so much fun talking, and I forgot to told. Tell you about the new. You can go on Facebook. They have their own Facebook page, the Totally Ninja Raccoons, where you can see. Like I, I post new information about the Ninja Raccoons, uh, new contest. I do a lot of. Uh, I do a lot of small festivals, so they will have any events that I'm coming at up at. So if you're anywhere, like I'm going to Baltimore here at the end of the month. I'm going to Harrisburg. So uh, the chance of you coming by Wellsboro might not be as good, but if you're in Baltimore or Harrisburg, you can come by and check me out and talk to me in person. Okay, and maybe get your autograph. Get my autograph. Okay, Kevin, I enjoyed having you on. And when that new book comes out, get a hold of me and send me a copy, please. I will. Okay, my friend, you have a great weekend, and thank you for being on Night Dreams. You bet. Thanks, Gary. Okay, you take care now. Okay, bye. I'm bye. Well, what can I say? I mean, you know, kids nowadays, they just, I don't know. I blame it like on the internet. I blame it on uh, computers. I, I blame it on the parents. You know, kids don't read like they used to. And it's so bad because they, if they grow up and they can't use their imagination, I mean, they are missing a lot when they get older. I mean, Come on. I mean, how many of you have fantasized through the years on on things? And, you know, you go to bed at night and have a good dream of a book you read. And, and it kind of like is like a motion picture in your brain. You put the little pieces together, just like old time radio where they had those radio plays where, you know, you didn't see what was going on. But they had sound effects and the actors read their little things. But it drew you into it, and then you closed your eyes, and you could see that detective pulling the gun out on that bad guy. Or, you know, you could see him walking up that uh, flight of stairs because you'd hear that footprints. People, or footsteps, I should say. People are growing up, and they're losing a lot. You know, they're losing a lot because a lot of the books that it's coming out nowadays, I'll be honest with you, are crap. And I'm sorry to say that. Well, anyway, I don't know if anybody, you know, because I normally don't take call-ins. You know, the past year, I've only taken in call-ins maybe once or twice. So I don't know if it's going to go over. You know, we have uh, most of our bulk of our listeners are, you know, on-demand play and replay. So we'll see what happens here. But let's, let's give this a try here anyway. 
<laughs> the spooky Friday night call line is now open. Let's hear your scariest story. Call 1-253-203-6695. And you're on the line with Gary on Night Dreams. Who do we have? Hi, Gary. It's Karen. Hi, Karen. How's your evening going? I noticed you've been chatting with me uh, tonight. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, being a paranormal show, I wanted to kind of take a, a little break away tonight, you know, into like maybe a little bit of paranormal about books for kids for a change. Yeah, I love some of the paranormal books for kids, even though I'm almost 50. I'm, oh, you're I a still, young kid. Like you're a young kid. Hmm? You're a young kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a big kid. <laughs> well, I'm a big old kid. How's that? You know, um, but a scary story. What do you have? I have a story that I've written, taken from one of the paranormal dreams I have. Um, I have dreams that sometimes they come true, and so I write them down. I keep them. I keep them in a diary, and I made a story out of one of them. Okay, well, let's hear about it. I mean, you know, I mean, okay. I, I, you know, I, I think some of the best stories have come from people, you know, having dreams or having experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so it starts out, I, I arrive at a very large farmhouse in the middle of a place like Kentucky. The paint on the house is weather-worn and faded and peeling like an old birch tree. The season is fall, and leaves are all over the ground like candy from a piñata. No nearby neighbors. The yard all around the house is very large and open except for a few trees here and there. The husband and wife are struggling with making a living and are in deep despair over their missing son and the family dog. They just disappeared from within the house without a trace. The local police and townspeople think the parents killed them, and dumped them somewhere far away and desolate, or they wandered off when nobody was watching them. The parents insist he is still in the house, that the house ate him and the dog because they can still hear the boy, the boy crying and the dog whimpering and barking sometimes. And I'm a paranormal investigator and have been requested by the family to try and prove and or disprove their claims. I am an empath, psychic dreamer, touch no, and will do all I can to help find this child. The husband is a large man in a dirty white t-shirt and brown work pants, held up around his large middle by a worn brown leather belt. The mother has long brown hair streaked with gray but hasn't seen a salon in decades. She looks tired and older than her 30-something years. We sit on the couch talking about the boy and the disappearance when all of a sudden we hear a dog barking. It seems to be coming from everywhere inside the house, like an echo that just comes from everywhere. I wander around the living room and kitchen trying to pinpoint the barking, trying to feel the animal's presence. In the kitchen, the wife explains she saw a creature within the floor looking back at her as if it were looking through a window. The floor is tilted and shiny, so I am thinking her imagination may have conjured a delusion from a stain or a reflection. As I walk 
from the kitchen back to the into the living room, I can feel a tingling in my legs like goosebumps shoot up all over me. Instantly, I know there is an evil in the house. I, ca- I call the, to the dog loudly as if I were outside in a demanding, authoritative voice. Suddenly, a small white poodle dog runs out from behind the couch right to me. I move the couch with their help, and but nothing is there. No holes, no dog crate, no leashes, nothing. I walk around the house calling for the boy, but I hear nothing. After a while, I hear him crying faintly, getting weaker and weaker. I keep calling to him. I enter the kitchen, and standing at the sink as the mother had done before, I look down, and there it is, a weird, bald, slimy, thin creature staring back at me from within the floor. It was then a sudden knowledge came over me as it sent, as if sent from its thoughts to mine, and these creatures steal life forms to use as a kind of battery to keep them alive. The father runs outside sobbing. I start yelling for the boy, much more forceful and angry now, demanding they let him go. The more I demand, the more I can feel a power shift inside me. I push harder and yell louder until I am almost screaming from every fiber of my body. Suddenly, the boy is sitting on the floor in front of me, dark circles under his teary eyes. I snatch him up as fast as I can before those things can change their minds and take him back again. I run outside to his father and thrust the boy at him, tears streaming down my face. I tell him, do not take that boy back in the house. They will take him again, and you will never get him back. Burn that house to the ground. It must be burned, and no other house built on the spot ever again. The end. <laughs> oh, wow. And, th- and that came to you, like, in a dream, or, or how did that come yeah. to you? Yeah, um, I just, the details, I, I just basically, I, I wrote down out of memory of what I saw. And then the rest of it is what actually happened in the dream. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had that type of vivid dream. You know, you know, when I, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, when I was young, I would have dreams of naked women, you know, in a pond in Hawaii <laughs> with a waterfall. And nowadays, I have dreams of my dog either urinating on me because it sleeps with us in bed, or I, I have a dream that I crashed my, one of my motorcycles. That's about all I have at my age. <laughs> you know, uh, and I don't have oh, any. Oh, God. Yeah, well. I, I have dreams like movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I am so st- uh, stuck here. About a year ago, I, I discovered Comet. Uh, came on our cable network where they, you know, they show all the sci-fi movies that are so bad that they're actually good. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like watching old Frankenstein and, and Dracula and, yeah. and all these other well, weird movies. Last time I watched a Frankenstein movie, I had just gotten kicked in the head by a horse that day. <laughs> 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 and my parents, the doctor told my parents to keep me awake all night. So I'm laying on the couch with an ice pack watching the old black and white Frankenstein movie. Well, I, and I was ecstatic. <laughs> we have too many uh, horses. We used to have three, but one passed on. But, you know, many, they, the, the um, how do you call it? The vet told me one time after I got hit somewhere, uh, I won't tell you where, because, you know, you can figure the height <laughs> of a, a, a mini. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe a, a horse could, you know, especially a mini could kick that hard. And the, the, the vet said, do you realize they have more of a kicking power than a full-size horse? Yeah. 
they're, they're more compact, but they've got the same muscle. I know. Yeah, I know. The, the bad problem is when you have minis, you got to be really careful in the hay you feed them because they can colic, and that's what happened to one of our horses. So, you know, because their intestines yeah. are a lot smaller. But I don't know how many do you do you have horses now, or did you have horses? No, I actually never owned a horse. Um, Just got kicked in the head by different. one, though. <laughs> I, I was like five years old, and I wandered up the street to a neighbor like six houses away, and they had horses in the back. And I wandered through their yard and out back and under the fence, and I walked up behind the horse and just wham right in the side of my head. Well, I never uh, had. I, yeah, I, I got <laughs> I got kicked somewhere else where I, I could barely make it into the house after that. But you know, when I was a little kid, my brother we, we used to have a property, or my grandparents used to have you know acreage, and my aunt used to have mm-hmm. acreage on a place called Woodby Island, and they had like about probably about fifty acres of all you know, woods and stuff like that. They had some cattle. And I think I was probably about five or six years old, and my brother talked me into getting on this cow and try riding it as a horse. (laughs) And, hey, the cow, you know, didn't do anything for the first minute or two, and then all of a sudden it decided it didn't want me on on his back anymore. And when he threw me off, I landed on the electric fence on top of it all. Oh. So, you know, yeah, that, that, I never rode a horse after that. I never even thought about riding a horse. That's why we got minis. Uh, I think that somehow riding a, a cow when you're six years old and getting thrown on an electric fence is good enough. Yeah. Well, hey, that would so, be enough for me, too. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank you for all the support you do on uh, for our show on Facebook. And uh, You're what, welcome. I want you uh, to private message me uh, tonight or tomorrow. I probably won't read it tomorrow. I've been up for like 24 hours straight. Uh, I (laughs) will, uh, you know, uh, message me on there. Give me your address and I'll send you out something. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, tell your friends about Night Dreams and, you know, and uh, you have a great weekend. Okay. You too. And thanks for that story. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. Night. Thank you. Well, I don't know. Uh, Scary stories, I I can tell you so many of them, but to remember them all and put them all together, I don't know. To me, the scariest story I ever had was when I was a little kid. Uh, My brother, uh, one day, my parents were gone for the weekend, convinced me that somebody uh, broke out of the jail who killed somebody. He has a a long butcher knife and he's on a motorcycle. And the reason why he said that, because somebody went by our house, it was on a motorcycle here. I'm a little kid, right? I can't remember my age, probably five, six years old, something like that. And he says, Hey, you need to go under the bed and hide because this guy could break in and kill us. Well, he had me so scared, I crawled underneath the bed, uh, you know, I think my parents' bed, and I kept saying, can I come out? He goes, no, you got to stay in there. It's not safe yet. They haven't caught him. I, I, it seemed like the, when I went in there, it was, I, it was broad daylight. When I finally came out of there, after he kept telling me no, it was nighttime, and I found out the reason why. There wasn't no guy at broke out of jail it was going out around killing people 
he had his girlfriend over and she was in the front room with him and they were making out kissing and all that stuff. He had me under that bed for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I tell you, that's the scariest uh, story I ever been in. It was, I tell you, it was probably the, one of the meanest things a brother could do to another brother, especially when he was like 14 years older than me. Oh, but you know, uh, the things that I always kind of get scared about is these, you know, Walking Dead. Not so much the Walking Dead series, but, you know, the, the original, you know, zombie movies and, and voodoo movies that you see. Those kind of still scare me. And, you know, they need to come out with some more movies like that. You know, maybe where they, they if the movie isn't that good, they eat the uh, actor's brain or something. I'm not sure. Hey, why aren't people calling? Okay, I, I'm looking online and I see a lot of people on the server uh, listening in, but I don't see anybody calling other than Karen. Now, you need to give us a call at 1253 203 6695. That's 1253 203 6695. You don't want me just to just ramble on for the next 15 minutes, do you? So if you got a scary story, you got a chance to win something here tonight. You know, and the best scary story for the month, you're going to win a nice stereo recorder, you know, for going out and getting, you know, ghost sounds and things like that. All you have to do is just tell, call up and just give a scary story or something. But if you don't want to, I I don't understand. Well, here we got one. Okay. Well, okay. Who do we have here? Hello, Gary. This is. Michael, the old paranormal lawyer, calling in just to say hi. Well, hi. How's your day been going? Oh, it's been going awesome, and I've been listening to the show um, that the guest you had on tonight with the children's uh, uh, ninja books were fantastic. Great interview there. And I I thought I would just hang on a moment, just hoping, because I believe some more folks will call in with scary stories, but... I do have an interesting story if uh, we don't have anybody else. Well, we don't. Here's the problem. As you know, I don't normally take call-ins. So this is like the first night in a year's time that I decided I'm going to take some call-ins. You know, occasionally I'll get a call-in, you know, during the show and I'll put them on. But this is the first night, you know, that I've been, you know, promoting the call-in. But nobody's calling in. But don't tell anybody, Michael. I know. I won't. But, you know, I will I will I will say the reason why I chose, you know, uh, have Kevin on the show is because, you know what, I think there's a major need out there for younger kids, you know, to have books that they can actually enjoy. And because of the Internet and TV and video games, kids aren't reading. And what some of the books they have out there for the kids there's nothing to really draw their attention to. Yeah, and exactly. The kids sound uh, to me like they're flocking to Kevin's store just to get the next book because they're throwing, so enthralled with the story and the characters that uh, they're, they're learning how to read by default because of their interest, and that's great. Well, more than that, they're learning about imagination, you know, like you're at the age, right? We we got the tail end of the radio, you know, broadcast shows, you know, where they 
they they did the yeah. little you know stories the plots like dick tracy and all those type of you know things where you had to use your imagination there was you know when i was a little kid my tv my parents first tv it looked like somebody took a, like a little six inch round circle you know and put in a box with these great two big knobs in the front that was our first tv and i mean it, the quality i mean was really bad you ever try to watch tv with about a six inch circle round yeah and, and the kids nowadays have no idea that it was not even it was black and white it was like so kind of hard to see and uh, very faint to begin with so that's what we were looking at. You're right. Oh, yeah. And I remember, you know, seriously, my grandparents would come over, my my aunt and cousins and all that stuff, because none of them had a TV. My dad, because he was an electronic engineer, uh, we were the first in their family, you know, to have a TV. And I mean, everybody would come oh, there yeah. like on a Friday, Saturday night, and I kept saying, go home, go home. I don't want to play with you. You know, I didn't want to play with my cousins. They were all nerds. And, and, and it's yeah. like every weekend. Then then the second TV was like a, a, a square TV, you know, which was a lot better. Then we had more people come. And then my dad got uh, Curtis Mathis color TV when they first hit the market. Oh, oh my God. Wow. But my dad would have been smart if he would have charged 50 cents or 25 cents for every family member. It came and filled up our front room. That went on for about two years. And then all of a sudden they got their TVs and then we didn't have anybody come over. <laughs> oh, those are great days. People uh, actually uh, popping popcorn. And you remember the old TV dinners that you would get on the TV trays and sit in front of the television and and eat while you watch TV. Their whole family would be around the television set. Oh, the old Swanson TVs dinners with a Ludeman tray. I remember those. <laughs> exactly. No wonder we're all getting Alzheimer's now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you this. My uh, grandmother's uh, father, one of his businesses that he used to make a Ludeman cookware. Cast aluminum cookware. Oh, you know, and and, I'm, and we actually still have one of the roasting, uh, you know, uh, pans that you know that was my mother. She used to cook all the time on, uh, you know, yeah. like chicken and roast, and you know. And then uh, you know, I started thinking, you know, God, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. Uh, my father had dementia before he and Alzheimer's before he died, and then I started yeah. thinking, well, you know what? We used to everything used to be cooked, you know, in that roasting, uh, you know, cast aluminum, you know, and all that aluminum leaching it out, you know, into the food. Yeah, yeah, it could be. That's for sure. Yeah. Gosh, anyway, amazing what we survived. Yeah. What What's your name again now? Uh, anyway. Uh, you got a scary, you got a scary story here tonight. Well, you know what I have, Gary, is I don't, it's not so scary, but it's kind of a, a sweet old story of a, a paranormal love story that I thought I would uh, throw at you. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's go called, ahead. Uh, it's called, uh, LOL, and it's about an old woman at the end of her life. And uh, that she uh, always goes and visits her husband's grave every day because she doesn't have much else to do. 
and it kind of goes from there. I, if you've got enough time, we can go through this short story. Well, we got we got call- ten minutes to kill. No one's calling, so I mean, I you know, I rather fill the ten minutes rather you know me trying to talk up with something. Okay, well, uh, we'll we'll do it in ten minutes. Not a problem. Uh, this is called LOL. Another day comes, just like all the others, all thirty-two thousand and eleven of them. This one is no different. There are things to do, but fewer of them now. Most are not important anyway. She does them out of habit. The hardest these days is getting out of bed and dressing in old threadbare clothes that are baggy now. Fashion and cleanliness are not so important when youth is a dim memory at the end of a long, dark hallway. Besides, no one notices anymore as she shuffles past them like a weak shadow on an overcast day. She rarely has to say a word. She become, she's become vis- invisible to those everyday people with a purpose and a place to go. There's only one place for her now and one person to see. Her friends are all gone years ago. Her beloved husband, Lawrence Olson Larson, died abruptly in the prime of their lives when the sun was bright and they laughed together. She makes her way to sit with him, where he lies resting, waiting for her to keep him company. She talks to him every day, just like she used to. It doesn't matter that he doesn't answer. He wasn't a very talkative man anyway. He was good company, though, during the good years. Sitting alone at the cemetery bench next to him, she feels that he's more distant than than usual. Or perhaps it's just that she's more muddled today, thinking of things that have no thoughts, forgetting to forget, and remembering nothing in particular. Then, through her cataract haze, a slow realization dawns on her and finally registers as odd. She tries to think, but such a thing is harder to do these days, or rather, easier not to try, groping through the fog that now comes and goes. There on her husband's grave, next to his headstone, where the grass is not cut as short, which she never liked and brings her own worn-out scissors to trim for him, is something she has never seen before. Sleek, shiny black, and half-hidden. She looks around slowly, as old women do, to check on things that don't really need to be checked on. Then she directs her serene gaze back to the oddity lying there. Always one for neatness and propriety in her younger days, and now having appointed herself as her husband's gravekeeper, she slowly moves to attend the aberrant item as if it were something that needed to be attended to. Picking up the small black box and carefully cataloging it, through the dusty, disorganized drawers in her brain, she eventually recognizes it as some kind of phone. She knew that much, but little else. She has never used one herself, never needed to. She was rarely apart from the only person that really mattered to her, and she and he didn't talk much anyway. She looked at it, she looked it over front and back, like an old cow looking at a new new gate. What on earth it meant and whom it belonged to, she had she did not know. 
that she did know, but what she should know was it had not begun to cross her mind when suddenly uh, the thing shocked her to with an officious vibration. She dropped it at her feet, and her heart shot to her throat. She fought to gather herself from the intruding confusion and carefully picked it up again. She noticed that a small screen in front was now lit up, displaying some something that's written there as if it were typed. The fine, delicate print being such a uh, being much too small for her feeble eyes, she finds her old eyeglasses, which are hardly used anymore. Adjusting her focus on the thing in her trembling hands, she discerns a message of some sort to someone for some reason. It has been a long time since she had read anything other than the nebulous writing on a few grocery items that are delivered to her dingy apartment. It takes a while for her thoughts to confirm to the to conform to the letters that present themselves to her. Babe, I love I love to see you. LOL. She gasps as her heart flutters inside her. LOL. Lawrence, is that you? Just then the phone vibrates again. How have you been? It has been so long, more like a lifetime, since she had felt him near, since she had spoken to her, and how, and asked how she was. He was the only one who called her babe. I'm fine, she says to the phone, timid and not very convincing, but with the flicker of a young heart uh, in love again. I miss you, she says. You're probably busy, so I'll be brief. No, no, I'm not busy. I love you. Just wanted to let you know I still love you and miss you and hope to see you again soon. It's been years since he talked to her like this, so long that they talked at all. She had hardly con- she could hardly contain her grief or the longing that pulses within her. Oh, Lawrence, have to run. Too many things to do. Talk to you soon. I hope. LOL. Don't leave. Let's talk some more. I'm fine. How are you? What are you doing? Can we talk again soon? The screen on the little black phone goes dark and lifeless and remains cold in her withered hands. She closes her thin fingers around the phone and clasps it to her feeble heart, thinking of things that have no thoughts, forgetting to forget, and remembering nothing in particular. They found her lying on the bench next to his grave, as peaceful as she had just fallen to sleep and never woke up. They say there was a pleasant smile on her lips. She was holding a cell phone tight to her bosom. It had an old text thread that seemed to be from some faraway lover. The last entry read, I love you, babe. Thank God we're together again. LOL. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, just, that's the story. <laughs> it's well, not a scary story, but it's kind of a paranormal love story. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, this this like back about 10 months ago, I had a, a guest on that, you know, was saying that she was getting phone calls from uh, her uh, deceased husband would, you know, occasionally call on the yes. phone. 
And, and, and that's that's what this story is based upon, because you're right, Gary, I have heard those phantom phone call stories for many, many years, and I just thought, wouldn't it be sweet if that was a reunion of some sorts with an old couple? I thought that would be fascinating. You know, I just thought of something, and that, it, it, that what you, yeah, and it touched me what you read. Uh, but, you know, I just thought of something. I, I remember reading a story about this man and the, the, the wife, and they loved each other so much, but he was a miser, and he, uh. he had, like, a lot of money. And he insisted in his will that when he dies, he wanted the money to be, you know, uh, embalmed with him in, in the casket. In other words, he wanted yeah, all, yeah. all his wealth, right? And she was going to do it. But then either another relative or it hit her. Okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to I'm not going to live, you know, poor the rest of my life while he has all that money in the coffin. You know? Right. And then probably figured, well, he probably would never end up in the ground anyway. Somebody would, you know, we're talking a lot of money, right? So she did the next thing best to it. You know what she did? What? She wrote him a check out. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did. She wrote him a check out. There, there's the money, you know, right there in a check. Figure out how to cash it. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I could see that one developed into a... A really cool short story. That'd be wonderful. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, why don't you tell? We got a minute here. Tell tell everybody about your show real quick in about uh, two minutes. About tomorrow night, it's oh. going to be an awesome show. By the way. Yes, thank you, Gary. It's uh, tomorrow night, seven to ten p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I'm going to have Ronald Farn Farnham F A R N H A M on the show for the first hour, and he is the ex DOD. Um, you know, uh, you know, kind of black ops kind of folk kind of guy who has some really interesting inside scoop on the conspiracy theories out there that people will be fascinated to hear. And then the second guest I have is Joyce Isaacson, who is, believe it or not, a rock and roll paranormal author. And she has a great story about the ghosts of Badfinger the uh, 1960s band that came over in the British invasion with the Beatles. Great story. And I can't wait to interview her about that. I think you're going to have an awesome show tomorrow. So everybody out there, you know, drop what you're doing tomorrow between seven and 10. You want to listen to Michael W. Hall, the paranormal lawyer. And you know, uh, I am um, Ronald has been on my show probably about four times. He's scheduled again later this month. I mean, he has oh. some interesting views. And, and you know, uh, and, you know, but what he's, it's going to be rather interesting what he's going to be talking to you uh, tomorrow about. But, you know, he has, he's the one that's got me paranoid about, you know, these smartphones and smart TVs and all this stuff, you yeah. know. So you got to be, Really careful. Hey, I, I got to say this one thing, and we're going to run a minute or two over, and I don't care. I own the network. <laughs> I am going to say this. I am so still freaking upset today. I called up Master, because I have two MasterCards, and I call yeah. I called him up today, 
And I and I said, look, I'm going to pay him off. I don't want your freaking cards ever again. I don't want to, you know, I don't want a credit, uh, uh, you know, update, you know, more money on my credit card. I don't want nothing. I don't want your cards anymore. And I wish they could speak good English when you talk to him on the phone. Well, I, it, it took me probably an hour to talk to somebody you know, a supervisor in our country, the United States, not not in Turkey or whoever where they were at. I, I can tell you it wasn't the Philippines because they can talk better English. Uh, I, I, I got upset with them. At first they denied it. And then they they well, they finally said I was right. You know, it, it was breaking in the news over a couple day period. Uh, Google. Uh, MasterCard sold all your information. If you have a MasterCard, people, they sold your information to Google. Uh, every place mm-hmm. you've used your card, how much money you spend, your credit limit, they sold all that information to Google on every person that has a MasterCard. Now, why would Google need to know where you spend your money? I'm not talking about online sales. I mean, I'm talking about if you go to the X-rated store and buy stuff that your wife don't know about, or you go to the liquor store and your wife don't know about it, or you go out and buy motorcycle parts and your wife don't know about it. They sold all that information. Now, what's going to end up happening, right? That Google will put it all in their computer eventually, right? And all of a sudden, you're going to be on your computer, and all of a sudden, all those little places you shop at are going to appear on your uh, computer screen, right? And 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 if guys, if you've been going to that X-rated store that your wife don't know about, or you've been doing something naughty, one of these days your wife's going to turn on the computer, and all of a sudden, all this weird stuff is going to start appearing. You know, and that is really, I think, the invasion of of our rights. And what I'm really, really scared about now, since MasterCard done it, how long is it going to take before Visa and American Express and all those people figure, hey, we can get money off of our customers and sell it uh, to Google? Why does Google Google need this extra information? Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, people don't really take the time to read those uh, terms of service when they when they click uh, agree. <laughs> or the bottom they, line, right there. Or they send you an update with one of your bills. You know, uh, and yeah. the problem is, you know, when you get our age, right? You you need to go buy a five inch magnifying glass and hold it over it just to read what it says because it's. I mean, it's the smallest print they can humanly put on that a human eye could even recognize. But, I mean, that's what is so scary. And that is really has me concerned. They really didn't have no answers other than he finally admitted, yes, we, our company sold all that information to Google. And, and, yeah. I, and I think that is the worst thing that could happen because now y- y- your privacy has just gotten taken away even more. Yes, I, I agree with you. And, uh, of course, that is something that they are just doing by increments, slowly but surely, unless we all uh, decide that enough is enough, and then they're the, going to keep trying. And then the other thing, it's transpired this past week. 
Do you realize there's a couple of people, uh, companies that you have your DNA, right? You want to trace down, well, what your great, great, great grandfather, where he, what country he was from, right? So you, you yep. go out and spend this money, right? And you send your DNA uh, sample to them, right? And they come back and they say, okay, well, some of your members were from Ethiopia. Uh, some of them were from, you know, wherever, right? Uh, yeah. Now, one of them has been working with, you know, police departments on cold cases, you know, to try to tie family members into crimes, which, I mean, you know, I, I just feel, again, you're, you're, you're giving more of your rights away. You're giving the, the most uh, solemn part of your body away, your DNA. But what really scares me, Michael, on this is that this group of scientists, okay, sent to five different labs, you know, the same DNA, okay? They made sure that that DNA was not contaminated when it went to industry and all these other uh, companies, right? Guess what? Okay. All five companies they sent it to gave five different complete results, completely opposite of each other, like... Well, you, you, you know, you, you, your great-great-great-grandfather uh, is this from this country, right? Turkey. Or, you know, or you, you have this and none of it, none of the five matched at all. And they came to a conclusion is that the labs, right, are so contaminated. So when this DNA comes in, you're getting a mixture of everybody else's DNA, probably even the person who's doing the DNA testing, and you're throwing your money away because, you know, the, the results you're getting, what you think, oh, my great-grandfather was from this country, right? Hey, he might he might have been from Canada. I mean, you know, I'm just using that as a term. Totally inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I, I, I like those uh, ways that you can double-blind test some of those uh, programs and find out the glitches. And find out exactly right that uh, this this might not be accurate what they're doing. So you just have to be buyer beware completely the, the entire time you're out there in the uh, in the world and read all those fine prints if you can or hire a paranormal lawyer to do it. Yeah, they should. You know what it is. Look at it as nothing more as entertainment. Because, you know, if you're going to believe the results, you you pay for your DNA sample and they come back. And, you know, I, what I found it astounding is that they used, again, they used the most cleansing. Uh, well, how can I say this the right way? Uh, everything was done to lab specs when they sent it out. Okay. Yeah. So everything they sent out, if these labs were legit or I'm not saying they're not legit, but if their testing standards were right, at least four out of five should have came back with the same results. But none right. of them out of the five companies they sent to none of them match. And they didn't just send it one time. They sent it numerous, I think three times the same DNA wow. for testing. None of it ever matched from company to company. Wow. That's good to know, for sure. I was thinking of doing that myself, and now I don't know if it's well, worth it, you know? Well, find what the going rate is. I'll charge you half amount. I'll look up on the uh, Internet, and I'll pick some con uh, countries where they, you know, your great-great-grandfather came from. How's that? And, and you pay me half the <laughs> amount of money. You'll be happy, and I'll be happy. I fleece them you, you know? <laughs> 
That's right. That's about as accurate. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you for calling in. I mean, you know, uh, while we were talking, we did have oh. one uh, flash on, but I didn't, you know, you were in the middle of your story, so I didn't take it. But, you know, hey, uh, I think tomorrow you're going to have a great show. And, you know, uh, when you're in the hospital, leave the nurses alone, please. <laughs> I will definitely be listening to you every night for the next uh, couple days while I'm in with my bariatric surgery here. I'm, I'm looking forward to losing about 100 pounds there, buddy. Yeah, you know, I've done good. I've actually, you know, I, I've made a big mistake. Whatever the last medication the doctors gave me, I've been, yeah. I've been, it's not losing fast, but you know, I went out in and bought a bunch of new jeans. Okay. Ordered a mail order, uh, number one mistake, but I ordered the same brand, same size, right? I mean, yeah. even with suspenders on them, if I walk more than 25 feet, I'm grabbing my pants and pulling them up. I mean, yeah. Well. So I, I come to a conclusion, uh, like, Going back, remember I told you about my friend who was a doctor? Uh, we ran in the Bigfoot together? Yes. Okay, one of his clients uh, blown up to about 350 pounds. And he worked uh, in Tacoma at the time for the Coca-Cola Bottling Company. And he oh. had, he could drink all the pop he wanted for free. Sure. And he was into Mountain Dew. And the guy, oh, yeah. guy, guy in a couple years' time, bloomed up to over 350-some pounds. Well, my friend said, hey, quit drinking, especially Mountain Dew. But, uh, you know, it, it stop drinking soda. And, like, the guy, within six months, lost almost 100 pounds back then just by quitting drinking soda. Whoa. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, but, again, guys, if you want to save money... Uh, and I might get sued for this. I, I got to word it right. If uh, you you want to save money in your funeral services and not get in, embalmed, of course you're going to have to find a place where you you can get by without being embalmed. Just drink a lot of Mountain Dew. <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> save a little money there. Yeah, yeah, you'll be. You know what? They'll they'll, they'll dig up your corpse uh, ten thousand years from now, and guess what? <laughs> You're still going to look the same with that frown on your face. Very good. Okay, sir. <laughs> Wonderful show. Okay. Wonderful show tonight, Gary. Thank you, you. You take care. You too. Good night. Good night. So anyway, everybody, I'm going to get out of here. It's, it's time for me to go watch uh, Comet TV, watch some old, uh, well, uh, sci-fi movies. I don't know. It's nothing like watching the original Buck Rogers uh, series on, on TV. I don't know. You know, when the spaceships were made out of cardboard and, and plywood, you know, and, and the rivets, they were riveted together and all the gauges and the big talking boxes that they talk into and they flash. You ever figure, even with the type of rocket motors we have now, they wouldn't even budge one of those off the ground. They must weigh umpteen tons. I, I, I can't, that's all I can say. Anyway, it's time I jump out of here, and I will be on uh, back on Monday tomorrow, the paranormal attorney, Michael W. Hall. Make sure you catch him from 7 to 10 tomorrow, please. Tomorrow is going to be really good uh, with his one guest, especially... Uh, uh, Ronald Farnham, I mean, XDOD, 
uh, agent uh, about 13 years working with the DOD before he decided, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I I want to I want to be an actor and a comedian. Hey, what can I say? Everybody have a good one. Please check out the Night Dreams Talk Radio website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Also, if you want to keep our show free of advertising, just hit the donate button. Give a buck or two. Remember, all prior shows are always free to listen to. We at Night Dreams Talk Radio thank you for your support. Night Dreams, Scary Story Night on Friday nights. Call in at 9.30 p.m. Pacific at 1-253-203-6695.